This is The Plural of You, a podcast about people helping people. I'm Josh Morgan. (laughs) Catherine Weathers is a detention center volunteer from Huntsville, Alabama. She and a friend decided to start a visitation program at the Etowah County Detention Center in Gaston, Alabama a few years ago. It's a facility where men are held as they await deportation to other countries or detention centers, most of them thousands of miles from their homes and families. Eventually, Catherine and her friend founded the Etowah Visitation Project with the help of advocates across the country, and the project is now part of a movement to get people who are in prison and detention involved in the communities where they're being held. I spoke with her about the project via Skype, and I'll play that conversation in a moment. I found out about Catherine and the Etowah Visitation Project through the concept of prison volunteering. I saw that term somewhere and had no idea such a thing existed, so I searched for it online. And that's when I learned that there are hundreds of people all over the United States who volunteer through different visitation networks at prisons and detention centers. From what I gather, most volunteers go to facilities and keep the people who are held their company. And this is necessary because many people in prison or detention have zero contact with the outside world, especially those who aren't local to the area, and the human need for social bonding is rarely satisfied behind bars. I came across the Facebook page for the Etowah Visitation Project while reading about all of this. The detention center this group visits is in Gadsden, which is a secluded city of about 37,000 people in northern Alabama, not far from where I grew up. The more I read, the more I realized that I had discovered a confluence of many issues in our society, and the more that I came to admire what the group was doing. I also realized that prisons and detention centers serve two similar but different purposes, and that I knew very little about detention centers. Catherine will provide some context about this difference later on. Catherine and I spent a couple of months talking about the project and the issues surrounding it, and I'm humbled that she was so generous with her time both before and after we recorded this interview. Here's Catherine Weathers, coordinator and volunteer at the Ottawa Visitation Project. So how's your week been? It's been busy. I know you said you were going to Birmingham. I did. I did. I went to a meeting down there. They're planning a kind of a festival rally outside the walls of the detention facility Mm -hmm. for Father's Day weekend. So it was a planning session. A lot of different social justice groups are going to be participating in this. It's mostly for the for the men in detention as well as the general population. Kind of an outreach to show them that that people on the outside know they're there and that people care. That's great. So it's kind of a follow on. Uh, back in March of 2014, Alabama Coalition for Immigrant Justice came to Etowah and did a rally outside and. The men on the inside were so excited about it. They were holding up signs on the inside and saying who they were and their phone number. And, you know, we weren't a part of that at all. But when we would visit, the men were so excited about it. They told us about it. And it it really meant a lot. Just having this connection with the community. So this isn't the first event like this that's happened or will happen? Probably not. But this this is a different kind of event because this is all about music. And all about entertaining the detainees. I gotcha. But also about bringing community awareness. So it's a little different. The other thing we're trying to do is to gather photos, family photos from these men, so that people will understand that it's not just the person in detention that's suffering. Whole families and whole communities are affected by detention and deportation. That'd be nice. Now, if they can't go outside, how will they be involved? 
Well, there's a bank of windows at the top. You know, they can look out the windows. Oh, okay. That's a little different than I was imagining. I was imagining the windows being higher. No, for their cells, there there are windows on two sides. I understand two sides they can see out of. Okay, okay. So, yeah, they'll be able to view it. Well, I'm glad it's going well, or it sounds like it's going well, so that's good to hear. You know, one of our big thrusts is to inform the public about the facility. Many people, you know, that we talk to have no idea. Even people in Gadsden do not, are not aware that, that the county jail is a detention facility for immigrants. The county actually has a contract with ICE, Immigration Customs and Enforcement Agency, which is part of Homeland Security, to house between 300 and 350 immigrant detainees at any one, at any one time. Mm-hmm. That's the, the group that we visit. Now, the larger facility is the home for county inmates from Etowah County. Okay. So I'm, I'm not clear on what the distinction is between a prison and a detention center. Can you help me separate the two? Well, I don't think there's a huge difference because for all practical purposes, the men being held in ICE detention are in prison with everything that implies. They have no freedom of movement. In fact, they probably have fewer resources available to them than the general population does. Oh, okay. But they're they're isolated from their friends and families. Most of them come from other states. Uh, We have many there from the northeastern states, such as Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, many from California and the western states. So I've only, in fact, visited one person who had a family member in Alabama. Now, that's not to say that there aren't more, but but for the most part, they're they're totally isolated from family and friends, their attorneys, all their support system. So that's part of our purpose is to end that isolation, just be a face of the community to these men. So they'll, so they'll know they're not totally alone and that there's somebody out there who knows they're there. Now, are their stays more temporary than longer prison sentences or like, are they more transient? Well, you know, I'm trying to see the larger picture about Etowah because I'm, I'm new at this. Oh, okay. Okay. So, but the sense that I have is that the men that they send to Etowah are longer-term detainees, but there is movement between facilities. Often, the men we're visiting get moved to Louisiana. That's kind of a typical thing. Uh, And we visited men who've been sent from California and Florida, from all other states of the Union. But a lot of the men at Etowah uh, have been in detention for three to five years. Many of them have served prison terms. And what happens when they when they complete their prison term, and sometimes it's a short amount of time, and sometimes it's a longer period of time. But when they finish their criminal sentence, then they are immediately picked up by ICE agents and put in detention for deportation. So many of these men have cases pending in the courts. Many do not have attorneys. They, they filed their own paperwork. They don't feel like they're getting the kind of support they need through the court system. Yeah, I could see that, yeah. So how did you get involved in volunteering there? <laughs> well, I've been interested in immigrant rights for a long time. I actually went on a border tri- on a, a trip to the border in Arizona with a group out of Tucson called Borderland. The Mexican border, you mean? Yes, we went to, to the Mexican border. And we went across the border and we went, we went to a place called Altar, Mexico, which is a staging area 
for coyotes bringing migrants across the border. We, we went to several other places in Mexico and, and talked to people there who are ministering to these people, these young kids in some cases, men and women who are coming across the border seeking a better life. We went to the border wall and we learned about how difficult it is for people who are making this crossing. Uh, many people die in the desert. So that was that was one of the main things that we learned on this trip. And, and in Alabama, there was a legislative action to implement anti-immigrant laws. Was that HB 56? SB 56. I went to Montgomery and, you know, talked to my congressman about it. And so I've been interested in these issues for a long time. But a good friend of mine called me up and she had read an article about Etowah and asked me if I would join forces with her to try to set up a visitation program. So, and I said, yes. So we spent the next year, all of 2013, trying to get a visitation program established. We went to the Etowah County, to the sheriff's office, the group that's involved with the immigrant detention part, and we filled out the proper applications, and we we just spent months working on this. They sent us to the ICE field office down in New Orleans to apply through them. Well, the bottom line was we were not successful going at it that way, but a national organization called Civic Community Initiatives for Visiting Immigrants in Confinement came to our rescue, and they know how to, to talk to ICE and how to get these programs started. So they intervened for us and came and had a tour of the facility and were able to get us started. Okay. So we were able then to work out an arrangement with the facility to put up sign-up sheets in the unit. So if someone wanted a visitor, they could put their name on that. And we have an arrangement wherein when we're, when we're ready to go visit, we contact the facility. We have our points of contact there and let them know that we'd like to come on such and such a day. And we give a list of our visitors. And then we specifically ask for individuals that we want to visit that time. So they've been really good to work with. They're very flexible in, in helping us to meet with these men. Oh, that's good to hear. Okay. Yeah. So we've got a we've got a really good working relationship established with the facility for our visits. You don't have to be in an approved group to visit, but it's more cumbersome. We actually did several visits before we were an approved visitation group and we had to contact someone there and tell them to put them on a visit list, and then we would go in and visit. Now we have this list that is provided to us. We don't have to have the detainee make an appointment for us. That's major. That's a big change. It facilitates our, our visit. Why was it so difficult to get this started in the first place? I don't know. I, I don't know. There was a resistance to, um, to approving our visitation group. And I can't tell you exactly why. I guess change is always hard. But through the intervention of Civic, we were able to. One of the founders of Civic, uh, Christina Mansfield, actually came to Alabama and had a meeting with the officials. And she's good. <laughs> she was able to make it happen for us. So through Civic, we, we're part of a large network. Civic has sponsored visitation groups around the country. So there are over 50 now that are established. So we're on a civic network, and we can talk to each other through their listserv. So there's a lot of exchange of ideas. Uh, if we run into something we don't know how to handle, then we can go online and 
potentially get some help because there are lots of people with lots of different skill sets who are part of these visitation programs. That's great. So you said you've been interested in immigration as an issue for quite a while now. Yes. So I have a a two-part question. What is your background, and then how did you get interested in this as an issue? Well, I'm 69 years old, so I graduated from college many years ago (laughs) with a liberal arts degree. And then I worked for 30 years in, as a Army civilian employee. You know, during that period of time, I raised my family. I worked and and then I was able to retire. And I, I can't tell you how I got interested. I just have a, a heart for it. And I think that's one of the main things that you need to do this. You need to be a good listener. This is something I've learned. Listening is the most important thing. You have to have an open mind to different races and cultures and religions. And you need to be kind of aware of what's going on in the world with respect to migration. Any experience working at a prison or a detention center before you started volunteering? None at all. And it's not something I ever thought I would have any interest in doing. It just never occurred to me. But now that I'm doing it, it's, it's something that's really important to me. I could see that, yeah. Now, how many volunteers do you work with? Like, how many people are in your group? Well, it varies. You know, we've got we've got about 10 who visit, you know, not all the time, but occasionally. But then uh, we have a much larger group of, I call them friends of the project, who are writing letters. We've got other people writing letters who can't, for some reason, visit. Uh, for one thing, from Huntsville, it's an hour and a half drive. So it's kind of an all-day commitment. And, you know, other people have young children or they, they're older and they're just unable to make that trip. But, for example, this weekend we're putting together packages of cookies, homemade cookies for all the detainees. So we've got, we've got people out there baking cookies. And for some, this is their first exposure to this project and their first understanding that, that we have men in detention down at, down at Etowah. So it's kind of a community outreach, too. How do you coordinate who receives services? You know, we have several sources of names, the sign-up sheet. We also have referrals that have come to us through other groups in the civic network because there is movement between centers. So we're visiting people that were referred to us from other states and other detention facilities, the UNHCR. They have received phone calls through their hotline requesting support. Oh, they contacted you to reach out. Yes, they contact us. They know about us. <laughs> but wow, now, that's cool. Our main limitation is that we are not attorneys. You know, we are lay people, so we need more legal support. That's that's one of our biggest challenges is to find legal support for these men. You know, I was about to say, I imagine when you started volunteering like this, that you didn't foresee all these different challenges. Yeah, it, it's difficult, and it's it's also frustrating to know that there's such a need that these men are experiencing, and we're not able to meet those needs. So, you know, that's another reason why just getting the word out to as many people as possible is important, because, you know, there's a lot of talent out there, and maybe someone can step forward and do some of these things that we're, that we are not educated to do. Mm-hmm. So what are some common stories that you've heard among the men that you've talked to at the detention center? Well, you know, every person is unique. So we hear all kinds of stories. 
You know, I've met with people with with a man with several who have said that my visit is his first contact with the outside world in like three years. Oh my goodness! The isolation, the lack of legal support, the poor quality and quantity of food. This is their complaint, and uh, the lack of outdoor exposure. They never get to go outside. Their recreation is in a large rec room with windows high up that are open for them. Mm-hmm. So this is the only exposure to the outside they have, which is really not outside. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. And then the other thing is the, the high cost of phone calls and the high cost of commissary. And many of these men are indigent. So unless they have someone on the outside who can send them money occasionally, then they're, they really are isolated. Wow. So how does doing this type of work affect you emotionally? It's very stressful, especially when you you hear a story and you, you don't know what to do with it. You know, you don't know how to help this person. But, you know, on the other hand, these men are very resilient. They're very hopeful, many of them, very spiritual. So that's the other side. You know, we get a lot in return through our visits. Are there common reasons why the men are in this facility? I don't I don't know if there's any common denominator like that. I know okay. many of the men have resisted deportation. Many are seeking asylum because they're very fearful of going back to their home country. Many of them came on work or student visas and overstayed their their visas. And many got caught up in some kind of criminal activity. Some of them did not receive the kind of legal help that they needed. They didn't understand the ramifications of perhaps pleading guilty to something. I bet I met a man the last time I visited who was born in Tijuana, and his mother was in transit to come to the United States. He was born in Tijuana, and she crossed the border when he was two weeks old. So the United States is the only country he knows. He grew up here, but now he's in deportation proceedings. And that just is very troubling to me. He he has no he has no framework, no context of family in in Mexico. We're also visiting a man who is who served in the U.S. military. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, he's from Jamaica, and he's he's also mentally ill, and he's he's been in detention for quite a number of years. So this is just really really troubling to me. Yeah. He was actually held out in Arizona, so there's a someone out there who's working hard for his for a compassionate release for him, but but it hasn't happened yet. Has doing this kind of work changed any beliefs or misconceptions you may have had before you started? I thought and I think most people think that the majority of people in detention are Hispanic coming from Mexico, Central America, and South America. And I can't tell you the exact percentage at Etowah. Probably it is a large percentage, at least 50%. So the composition is international. And I guess our biggest challenge right now, and we're working on this, we do have several people who, who are Spanish speakers, but that's one of our biggest limitations is that we visit. You ask how we make the decision who we visit. Language is, is a definite limiting factor, but there are many, many who speak English. So that hasn't been a problem, but we need to expand our group to include more Spanish speakers. I hadn't thought of that, that language would be a barrier, but that makes sense. 
language is a huge um, barrier. I actually have recruited someone down in Auburn, or she came to us. She's a French speaker. She's actually from the Congo herself, a U.S. citizen now. But, you know, we're, we're looking for people who have these special language skills as well. You mentioned a moment ago that you get a lot in return from your visits. What have been some gratifying moments you've had while visiting these men? So one of the men that I visited, I've got a couple of things I'd like to tell you about men I visited. Sure. So one of the men was from St. Vincent of the Grenadines, which is in the West Indies. And he, just a, just a sweet man to visit. He was deported. He was sent to Louisiana and deported from there. They charter planes to take these men to the islands. Before he was taken from Etowah, he was in the middle of a dental procedure. They were creating a bridge for his front teeth. And he was deported without his teeth. Oh, no. He was deported without his identification papers in his home country. So that's that's presented a real challenge for him to get that paperwork in order. I think he's finally gotten that done. But it took me six months. He contacted me, and it took six months. But we were able, finally, to reunite him with his teeth. Oh, good. <laughs> so he got his bridge, So which was really good. I mean, it had to be adjusted after he got it because... You know, there's always a final adjustment. Sure. But I think that's one, you know, I, I look for, you know, tangible ways that our visits have helped. And that that's one very tangible way. Because, you know, you're crippled if you don't have your front teeth. Right. And he's a very outgoing, you know, friendly person. He's having real challenges, though, back home. But he's got his teeth now. And then we were part of a, the national group that was advocating for the release of a man at Etowah who had been in detention for nine years. We didn't make this happen, but we were a part of the overall national effort to get him sent back to California for a bond hearing, which actually happened in March. And he's out on bond now, pending resolution of his asylum. Wow. You know, he's able to work on that from the outside now. And, you know, if he's not able to stay in the United States, he's trying to find other countries that would be willing to take him. So, you know, both of these men are about the same age as my children. And my children are 36 and 41. Mm -hmm. So I can relate to many of these men because they're the age of my children. I'm visiting a 30-year-old who could be my grandchild, actually. Yeah. it's really heartbreaking to yeah. hear their stories and the fact that they, some of them have children that they are separated from. We also, we feel the gratitude and feedback from these men whenever we visit. So we're getting something back from that. Mm-hmm. How often do you visit the detention center? So we try to visit at least once a month. And we visit in the morning, and then we visit in the afternoon. So each of us visits at least two people. Occasionally, we visited more. But for me personally, that's a little bit emotionally overwhelming. Oh. But it's, it's a non-contact visit. We go into the visitation room, which has 12 phone and monitors. We sit at those, and we, we can see them, and they can see us. It's also the same room where families visit their loved ones in the general population. I see. So occasionally it's pretty chaotic in there. But yeah. My dream is, you know, what I'm working on right now is setting up teams in various communities so that we'll have a visiting group every week. Oh, that'd be great. Growing our base. Yeah. So 
there are strong attitudes in our society, as you know, about immigrants and people in prison or detention. So I'm wondering, why should we care about their well-being? Will you bear with me just one minute? I, I wrote something up on that. Okay. Would it be okay if I read what I wrote? Sure. Okay. These are the reasons I care. I care because these men are imprisoned like criminals, most without access to legal assistance. They are in administrative detention because of irregularities in their immigration status. They suffer the loss of their freedom, homes, jobs, families. I care because they are isolated, far from families and friends, or legal support they may have had in their communities. I care because of the quality of their lives. Many of the men complain about the quantity and quality of food and constant hunger and the lack of access to the outdoors. I think about the high incidence of seasonal affective disorder in the overall population in the winter. The daily reality of these men is no exposure to sunlight. I care because many of these people came to this country as children, as economic or political refugees, or with student visas, and no longer have families or cultural ties to their countries of origin. They are American in every way. Many had businesses or were otherwise gainfully employed and contributed to American society and paid taxes. I care because many have families and children here. They want to remain in the United States to care and provide for these children. These families are torn apart. I care because we are a country of immigrants, and sometimes it seems like we lose sight of that reality. I care because the lives of these men have been put on hold. I have met many brilliant and warm and courageous men. I see their incarceration as a huge waste of human resources. I care because this is a humanitarian and social justice issue and a betrayal of the values we claim as Americans. In short, I find it appalling that immigrant detention is such big business in this country and that people are profiting in the misery of others. So that's what I wrote. <laughs> that's very touching. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, these, these are just regular people. Many of them are highly educated, brilliant. They are just, I don't know, it just kind of gets under your skin when you talk to them. You know, I think everybody needs a second chance. Now, you mentioned a key word there. Listeners may not be aware that there's profit to be made in keeping people behind bars. Would you mind elaborating on that a little bit? Well, I can't tell you the extent of how Etowah County benefits from it. I know that they have a contract with ICE. I can't tell you how exactly they benefit, but there must be a profit motive there somewhere. The prison industry is big business in this country. We've got the CCA and the GEO Group are operating prisons throughout the country, and they are definitely corporate for-profit exercises. There's also a mandate through Congress that 34,000 immigrant detention beds be filled every day. Really? So this is, a, this is a, something that's driving this as well. See, I hadn't heard that before. Wow. To me, it's almost like a, a speed trap, you know, a make, make money kind of speed trap. Yeah. Because it's driven by numbers. Wow. I'm just, I'm just sitting here with my mouth open. Yeah. Yikes. So if you go to the Civic website or Detention Watch Network websites, I think you can learn about that particular situation. Okay. 
Well, looking forward, what is one change you would hope to see related to the people that you're helping? Well, what I would really like to see is a reform that would reunite families. Many of these men have American-born children. You know, I would like to see everyone have a have a hearing in immigration court, you know, to hear their cases. I would like for them to have legal help doing this. You know, if they're seeking asylum, give them a day in court. Another option would be in lieu of prison, of detention, put them on a leg monitor so they can be with their families. Now, are you aware of anything that listeners or I could do to help you make that happen? Well, I think the listeners need to educate themselves about what's going on. They need to support immigration reform that reunites families and addresses some of the legitimate economic and political concerns of the countries from which these people are coming. Migration is a worldwide issue. And in the United States, you know, we're, we're feeling the effects of that, too. We're, we're feeling the effects of the economic problems faced by Mexico and Central and South America. So I just think it's really important that people educate themselves. So I know we've only talked about the visitation project so far. Is there anything else that you're involved in or anything else that you volunteer with? This is a full-time job right now. I can see that, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of other activities that I'm involved in. I'm a quilt maker. I belong to a all-girls ukulele band. <laughs> really? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so life is good, but this is the only really volunteer thing I'm involved in right now. And this is me asking as a native of Alabama, how do you handle being involved in these issues and living in Alabama? Because I know Alabamians are a tough crowd. Well, fortunately, I have a pretty good network of people who are sympathetic to this. But, you know, it's it's difficult because so many people have closed minds to this subject. So it is difficult in this state. But in, in Alabama, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Alabama faces huge challenges for its overall prison system. So this is just a very tiny subset of the overall picture in Alabama. You know, overcrowded prisons, sexual assaults in prisons. And this is a subject that the that the uh, Alabama legislature is taking up right now. That's separate from this challenge that we're facing with, with immigrant detention. That's a very small number. So people are coming to an awareness in the state about prison issues. But I don't think about immigrant detention has not been high on the radar screen. Alabama is, it, it can be difficult to even talk about it with people. But I'm glad you have a network of people that are helping to support you at least. Oh yeah, we do. We have a really good network. So if anyone would want to contact you, like maybe ask questions about the kind of volunteering that you do, what would be the best way to do that? To visit Etowah, they could contact, they could reach us through our Facebook page. Okay. But if they're in other parts of the country, which is likely, they could go to the to the Civic and Detention Watch Network websites and find a way to link with visitation programs that are in their state or community. Does that make sense? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, because we're just we, we have we're really uh, visiting a very small facility with only 300 people, but there are these centers all over the country. Some have formal visitation programs that people could join with. Well, we've covered a lot. Is there anything else you'd like to add? That's all.
I'm just amazed that this is going on and I know so little about it, but it warms my heart to know that you're out there trying to make a difference. Thank you. There are lots of people throughout the country who are doing similar work. Okay. Well, thank you so much again, Catherine. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Josh. I'll talk to you soon. This is The Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all I have for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.